Have you ever experienced trouble? Silly question, I know. Of course you have. We all have experienced trouble, and I want to talk about how to rise above your trouble. The big idea is transcendence. The word transcendence, well, it basically means to rise above. When I was teaching my children when they were younger about this big theological word transcendence, we sketched it out on a piece of paper, and we sketched out a rocket ship, and we showed the rocket ship going through the clouds. It was rising above. It was penetrating through the clouds and going into outer space, and that was our way of defining the word transcendence. Well, I want to talk about that as I talk about rising above your trouble. I can't talk about getting rid of your trouble because we are fallen people, and whether you have trouble today or not is not really the point, but you know that you will have trouble in your life. It just comes with the human package. It's what it means to be born on planet Earth, born in Adam. And therefore, I've titled the podcast, A Practical Plan to Rise Above Your Trouble. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. I'm thanking you so much for being here, for listening to the podcast If you want to read this podcast, it's 2,000 words, is sitting on our website, and you can go there and you can read it, you can share it, you can print it off, you can scribble on it, you can use it in your small group meetings, you can listen to this podcast or read the article or do both while you are drinking your coffee. That's a shout-out to Mary, who sent a note in and said that she was having coffee with Rick. That's not weird at all. She was letting Lucia know that. Mary, thank you so much for having coffee with me. I'm not sure if you were reading our article or listening to a podcast, but it doesn't matter. I'm so glad I could be part of your coffee. And so if you just want to have a little coffee with me, pull up the podcast or the article and get after it. A practical plan to rise above your trouble. Let me give you an analogy before I bring in Biff here. Biff, always good for a good illustration, going through some kind of trouble in his own life. Him and Mabel, they've just had some big challenges in their lives. But let me give you an analogy first about parents, about merciful parents, loving parents, wise parents. You know what they do. You know what they don't do. They don't bail out their children. Not merciful parents, not loving and wise parents. They won't bail out their children because they want their children to learn and to mature through the difficulties in their lives. And why do they do that? Well, partly because that's what God does for us. He will not bail us out of our trouble, but He wants to walk with us through our trouble to teach us So we can learn how to rise above our troubles. And that is exactly what happened to Biff. But that's not how it started out. Biff sat in my office. He was discouraged. He had just received news of his impending divorce. Yes, Mabel was leaving him after all of these years. And Biff sunk into his chair and he cried. And I wept with him because that's what you're supposed to do. I knew where we needed to go. I knew what needed to happen. I knew what I needed to say to him. But I realized that picking up and moving forward was not what he needed at that moment. 
The only thing appropriate was to weep with my friend. One of the earmarks of Christian counseling is compassion. Biff did not need a plan as much as he needed an understanding friend. Biblical counselors, listen up. Christians, listen up. Sometimes it's just better off not to lay out the plan and how we need to trust God and move on. Sometimes we just need to weep with those who weep. Jesus wept. Jesus was an understanding friend. In fact, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Well, Jesus was able to sympathize. Are you unable to sympathize with our weaknesses? You see, there is a sorrow that cannot be spoken. There is a grief that eludes explanation. Biff was experiencing one of those sorrows. His marriage was ending, and apart from a mighty work of the Lord, nothing was going to stop it from happening. Have you ever had this kind of experience? I'm not necessarily talking about a divorce, though many of you have gone through that. But have you ever come to the death of hope? Like when the disciples and their friends were standing at the foot of the cross watching their hope die. Their hope, their hope was a noun. Their hope was Jesus. And though they were with Jesus, they touched him. They were taught by him. When their hope died, they experienced unmitigated sorrow. That's something like what Biff was going through. For the disciples, there was no other place for them to go but Jesus, and now Jesus was dying. You remember what Peter said in John 6. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, perhaps your marriage is sound. If it is and things are going swell for you, I rejoice with you. It is a mercy from the Lord to have a fantastic friendship with your spouse. It's not just a mercy from the Lord, it's a gift. And as you know, though, a good marriage is not a time to rest and let up from putting Christ on display because you know challenges will come your way. It is inevitable. If you're not going through a personal trial now, it's a promise from the Lord that your day is coming when suffering will be your companion. That promise is in Philippians 1.29, where Paul says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. None of us will get out of this world without experiencing the curse of Adam in manifold ways. And there's an upside here. There's a silver lining here, even though it seems kind of ironic. It seems kind of misplaced. But it is in the disappointments of life where you will see the revelation of your real hope. When disappointment comes and the testing fires begin to burn, the disciples were doing well until their hope died. That's when the bottom fell out and they were free-falling this eventual reality is the problem with the good times. 
It's easy to rest and trust in God when things are going well. That's what I mean by the problem with the good times, the juxtaposition of two words that don't seem to go together, problem and good times. But it's so easy to rest, to trust God when you're living well. Things are going well. You're healthy. I suspect most of us who are living well could be at least partially self-deceived about how much we hope in God. I have thought about that on more than one occasion. Am I really trusting God? And I'm not talking about some kind of morbid introspection here, just being critical because that's who you are, but just thinking realistically, making a sober self-assessment. Am I trusting the Lord? Or is it because things are going well for me? Now, I do not wish a calamity on you. I'm appealing to you to give at least one thought about where you are placing your hope. You don't have to wait for trouble before you can think about and apply these ideas to your life. Let's be preemptive. If you're living on the good side of life and things are going pretty well for you, here are two things you can do to bring personal and practical application to your life. One, ask a trusted friend how he perceives where you are placing your hope. I imagine most people don't have a friend like that. I mean, somebody that will actually be that blunt to you, lovingly blunt to you, where they will give you that kind of assessment. But if you happen to be blessed with that kind of friend, ask him or her how they perceive where you are placing your hope. And then the second thing you can do is ask the Lord to turn his light into your soul so you can see the real you. One of the reasons that I'm saying this is because I've experienced so much of this in counseling. The person who is blindsided, some of the saddest counseling situations that I've ever had were people who were doing well in life until their life intersected with a troublesome alteration like personal sorrow. In nearly every case, they had not prepared themselves for the obvious. Humans were born to suffer. It's why I'm asking you, if you do have a trusted friend who can give you that kind of assessment of how do they think you are trusting God, especially if things are going well with you. The rich person did not discern how he had placed his hope in his wealth. The healthy person did not see how his hope was in his self-reliance. The child-centered person was okay when the children were okay. The physically fit person was on top of the world because of physical blessing. The intellectual person was confident because he was smarter than average. The beautiful person was feeling great because she could mask old age behind a cosmetic facade. Though this is a sobering message, it is one we should give space to in our minds. It should motivate all of us to assess ourselves humbly. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to be anything other than real regarding the inevitable We must make sure that we are not placing our faith in the things that we can see, the things that we can touch, the things that are wasting away. We need to place our faith in the things that we cannot see or the thing that we cannot see. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians. He said, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. 
For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal We want to make sure that we have well-placed confidence, that our confidence is not in our wealth, our health, our children who are doing well, our physicality, our intellectualness, or our beauty. You see, that's how Biff overcame his problems, because he had well-placed faith. It was not in his marriage. It was in God. If Biff had placed his primary hope in his marriage, then the ups and downs of his marriage would wear him down to a spiritualist nub. Fortunately, this was not the case with our friend Biff. He lived in the odd tension of sorrow and hope. He experienced sorrow that was very real. What human can live on earth and not experience sorrow? Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but he was not overcome by his trouble. He was always rising above his trouble, and that is what Biff was doing. You will always live with sorrow, but can you live with hope as well? Can your hope transcend? Can it rise above your sorrow? That's why I titled the podcast, A Practical Plan, to rise above your trouble. And though Biff's soul was heavy, he had fixed his mind on the inexhaustible goodness of the Lord. This is the heart attitude that is the power of the gospel in a person's life. You see, God will not insulate you from the advancements of sin, but he will give you grace for persevering through life's challenges. The problem with the disappointed disciples at the cross on that day was it wasn't that their hope was in Christ. Their hope was in the right person. But they did not understand who Christ was and what he was called to do. They placed their confidence in the right person, but they did not understand what it entirely meant to follow Jesus Intellectually, they were on the right page. We are following Jesus. Practically, they were in another book altogether because they didn't understand all. It was only after the resurrection did the full purposes of the gospel become clear to them. This was the worldview and the message of Paul. He understood that your faith had to be in the resurrected one in order to rise above your trouble. You see, initially, Paul was like the disciples who walked with Jesus. He had not fully fixed his hope on the Savior. Paul was a man with many strengths and giftings. He was tempted, as you maybe you could be tempted in a similar way. You could put your confidence in, in things that you ought not to put your faith in. Your strengths, your giftings, your station in life, the person you're married to, the state of your marriage, the state of your children, the state of your church, the state of whatever— But anything that will supplant our faith is confidence that is in the wrong place. Talking about Paul's strengths and giftings, I mean, if there was ever a man who walked on this planet, 
who could be tempted to put his confidence in other things. It was him. You see this descriptor in Philippians 3. He said, though I, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he gives us reasons why he has a greater temptation to put his confidence in the flesh. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But he learned the secret. Whatever I have gained, whatever gifts I have, whatever the state of my union is, regardless of the condition of my marriage, I count it all as loss for the sake of Christ. Do you see the danger? Can you see how you can misplace your hope? If someone like Paul could live in the deception of misplaced hope, don't you think that this could happen to you too? This idea is sobering to me. I don't want to live in the ignorance of misplaced confidence or misplaced trust, which is why I need loving Christians who are willing to go out on a limb to help me perceive my blind spots. You see, Paul had to learn this lesson. God had to bring trouble into Paul's life to teach Paul to learn how to trust in him you read this idea in 2 Corinthians 1. Paul said, to use his language, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. I don't want you to be ignorant of the trouble that we went through. I don't want you to be ignorant of my marriage that has fallen apart. I don't want you to be ignorant of all my physical problems. Whatever your trouble is, fill in the blank. But Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant of the affliction that we experienced in Asia he said we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. God put Paul in such a crucible to the point to where he despaired of life. In fact, Paul goes on to say that we felt like we had received the sentence of death. And so there's the trouble. That is the trouble that we will all experience. You have experienced trouble. But the question is not have you experienced trouble. Are you able to rise above the trouble? And this is how Paul finishes his passage of Scripture in verse number 9. He says, but that, but that trouble was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead Biff had learned what Paul had learned. He was not ignorant of the purposes of his disappointment and affliction. When you look at your trouble, when you look at your disappointment, when you look at your affliction, are you ignorant? Do you see God's purposes in them, or are they overcoming you? And rather than Biff's problems overcoming his faith in Christ, he was able to perceive the greater possibilities of God through suffering. I don't want to live in the illusion of misplaced faith. I will know if I am doing this by how I respond to the circumstances in my life. If the things that I stand upon disappear from me and I am free-falling, then my faith was in those things, whether it's my health, my marriage, my finances, my job, whatever it may be. You could say it this way. The first thing to come out of my mouth in the moment of disappointment is the most accurate measurement of my authentic walk with God. My faith must transcend 
must rise above my circumstances. Now, transcendence that I've spoken about earlier is a 25-cent theological word. Customarily, when you talk about transcendence in theological circles, transcendence is considered an incommunicable attribute of the Lord. What incommunicable means, it means it wasn't communicated or it wasn't given to his children. If there's an incommunicable attribute, omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, transcendence, those are incommunicable attributes, meaning they're attributes that we don't own, we don't possess, they weren't communicated to us, given to us. Now this teaching about transcendence, well, it's incommunicable in the most theological and technical sense, but there is an echo of the attribute that is given to us. And what I mean by that is that we are able to rise above. We are able to transcend. We don't have transcendence in the purest and theological sense that God is a transcendent God, but because we are made in His image, I say there is an echo of the attribute. That's the way that I describe it. Now, what that means is, is that you and I, if you are a Christian, you have an otherworldly ability given to you by the Lord that enables you to transcend your greatest difficulties. Hence, the title of the podcast and the article again, A Practical Plan to Rise Above Your Trouble. You see this idea in Philippians 4.13 where Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The context of that passage, Paul's talking about living in poverty and living in want. He says that I can transcend that through God who strengthens him. You also see this idea in Jesus' words in John 14 where he says, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. This is a transcending ability, and I put that in quotation marks. It is a gift that you have from the Lord, that echo of that attribute. This attribute, this gift that God has given you to transcend above your troubles, it's not self-generated, it's not self-perpetuated, it is not self-reliance. It is a God-centered sufficiency, and if you tap into it, it will give you the sustainability that you need to go through the trials, to rise above your trouble. Now, this concept was the point of Paul to the Corinthians. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant of what we were going through. God allowed us to go through this circumstance, to be a part of this circumstance, so he could push us beyond our ability so we can trust on him who raises the dead. If you're in a funk that you cannot extricate yourself from, don't be ignorant, as Paul would say in that text. God is trying to teach you to rely on him because he is the only one who can do impossible things, even to the point of raising the dead. And so here's my question to you. Do you believe this? Do you believe what I am sharing with you right now? Now listen to what I'm asking you. I'm asking you a practical question, not an intellectual question. 
There's a distinction here, and you must understand this distinction. An intellectual belief does not transform you. The devils have knowledge, but they are not transformed by that knowledge. You can intellectually believe, and you're merely affirming what is right, but intellectual belief doesn't transform. Functional belief grows out of your intellectual belief, and functional practical belief is essential if you hope to rise above your circumstances. And so when I say, do you believe what I'm sharing with you, don't say, well, yes, I believe that intellectually. I affirm that what you're saying is true because the Bible teaches that. If your intellectual beliefs do not bleed over to control your mind and your actions, your belief is not all God wants it to be. Belief without works will get you saved, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. You know the text, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and you know that belief without works will get you saved, but faith without works will be detrimental to your sanctification. Jesus wants you to be more than an intellectual saved believer who is going to heaven He wants you to be a functional, practical believer who is acting as salt and light while on earth. Jesus gave you something special when he came out of the tomb. You now have resurrection power. In the context of this podcast that I'm sharing with you, you could say you have transcending power. You can rise above. There's an echo of transcendence in you. God has given you what you need to access his power. Perhaps you're ignorant using the language of Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. Here are two common ways in which I've experienced a lack of functional application of the resurrection power in my life. One, I have been ignorant by not perceiving how I had placed my hope in personal strengths and blessings. And I've talked a lot about that in this podcast We can so easily be confident because we're going through a good situation or our marriage is great or we're stable in health and wealth. I have been ignorant by not perceiving how I had placed my uh, hope, my faith, my trust, my belief, my confidence in personal strengths and blessing. Another way that I've been ignorant is by not perceiving how personal suffering was designed to make me to rely on God rather than myself. How about you? How does your ignorant meter compare to mine? If you're in unmitigating trouble and you have not found contentment in your problem, you're not fully accessing the power of the resurrection. Perhaps you're living in the false victory of self-reliance because you are able to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That would be a problem, and if that is the case, God's word is true and his power is accessible to you, you can change. You can be God-reliant. This response is the hope that you have in the resurrection. Now, I assume for some Christians, it seems impossible to ascend to this kind of teaching. It can be too mysterious. It can be too confusing. It can be too unattainable, and it can be too discouraging. 
I don't think any of us could live in the sweet spot of this teaching from this podcast without the help of others. As I've said in previous podcasts, there are many things that you can do alone in this life, but sanctification is not one of them. If we could live in the Lord's victory without each other, we most certainly would be tempted to be proud. It is one of the Lord's many blessings to us to keep us from maturing in our faith alone. We need each other. And so I want to make an appeal to you right now. Would you seek help? Isolation, secrecy, self-reliance are some of the subtle tricks of the devil. Trust God by not relying on old methods, meaning trust God by not relying on yourself. Do something different today. The title of this podcast is A Practical Plan to Rise Above, to Transcend Above Your Trouble by resting in the resurrection power of Christ. And so you I want you to, I hope that you understand when I talk about intellectual assent, intellectual affirmation. I know that you believe that what I'm saying here intellectually, but where it's really going to be transformative is you have practical faith. If you get up and move forward by applying this in your life today. Now, if you need help to do that, and many of you do, well, that's what we're here for. The whole purpose of this ministry is to help people. We want to help people practically, and so I want to appeal to you to come to our website. If you need help navigating our website, get on our live chat feature, and we'll help you technically. But ultimately, you need to get on our forums, and you need to talk to our counselors, and we'd be more than happy to serve you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.